Hello, everyone. It's great to have you join me today. Today's topic, I think, is going to be very relevant for all of you as parents, regardless of your children's age, whether you have little ones at home who are going to be interacting with other children pretty soon or older children or teenagers. This topic is really relevant for all of us as parents, and it's bullying. So today in this episode, I'm going to talk to you about first how you can know which factors contribute to children becoming bullies and which factors contribute to children becoming victims of bullying. Second, for you as parents to gain some helpful advice for how you can communicate with your children, engage with them in your day-to-day life, meaning fostering your relationship with them so that you can decrease the likelihood that your children will become bullies or become victims of bullying. And third, to clarify that any child is at risk of being teased at one point or another, just in interacting with other children, it's bound to happen at some point. But becoming a victim to constant teasing and to bullying is a whole different matter. And we'll talk about that in today's episode. So let's get started. Hi, welcome. You're listening to the Emotional Inheritance of Parenting Show, your podcast for raising children with love, mindfulness, and emotional presence. My name is Karemi. I'm a certified conscious parenting coach and a mother, and it's a pleasure to have you join. So let's begin this episode by talking about what bullying is, just so we're all on the same page. Maybe some people consider bullying to be one thing, others might consider bullying to be something a little different, but I'd like to share with you the definition from stopbullying.gov, and it's this. Bullying is unwanted, aggressive behavior among school-aged children that involves a real or perceived power imbalance. The behavior is repeated or it has the potential to be repeated over time. Both kids who are bullied and who bully others may have serious lasting problems. Bullying includes actions such as making threats, spreading rumors, attacking someone physically or verbally, and excluding someone from a group on purpose. So this is the definition from stopbullying.gov, just so we're all on the same page as to what we're going to be talking about today, although all of you as parents are already very familiar with this topic, but just, you know, for parents who might be new to parenting or want to know just kind of what exactly are we talking about when we say bullying, this is the definition again from stopbullying.gov. So I'd like to start by talking about what factors contribute to a child becoming a bully. I'd like to share with you the knowledge of three experts in the field of child development. First, I'll share with you the perspective of Dr. Shafali Sabari from her book, Out of Control. Dr. Shafali Sabari is a world-renowned clinical psychologist, international speaker, and best-selling author. And in talking about bullying, and she describes this in detail in her book, Out of Control, I highly recommend this book for you as parents, among including all of her other books. Um, But she goes on to describe how when a child feels constantly unheard, when a child's thoughts and feelings are invalidated in their home, a feeling of unworthiness, of not good enoughness, starts to develop within the child's sense of self. And depending on the temperament and the personality, the child can respond in one of two ways. 
Either they project this feeling of unworthiness by making others feel unworthy, you know, for example, by mocking other children, criticizing other kids, hitting others, dominating others, or seeking to dominate others, basically bullying others, or the child won't know how to stand up to others, and they might let others control them, or let others mock them, criticize them, basically bully them, not because they enjoy it, of course, but because they didn't learn in their home that they had a voice, that their opinions mattered, that their thoughts mattered, that their feelings mattered. So they don't know how to speak up outside of the home. Or again, depending on the temperament, children can project their immense insecurity by forcing others to feel the way that they feel inside. The bully is very insecure, actually, but they project a facade of confidence because they can't allow other children to see their vulnerability. Again, some children learn to invalidate their own feelings because the caregivers in their lives couldn't validate them or didn't know how to validate them. Perhaps their parents or caregivers thought that validating feelings was synonymous with spoiling a child, or perhaps they thought it meant giving in to a child's every whim or desire. It's usually never a parent's intention to invalidate their child's feelings, thoughts, perspectives. It's usually for two reasons that this happens. Either the parent isn't in touch with their own needs and so they can't connect to the needs of their child, and a lack of knowledge about what the child needs. Some children will invalidate their own feelings and develop a deep sense of anxiety, and in severe cases, self-harm and depression. Other children, again, depending on the temperament and the personality, other children will project how they feel onto others. Invalidated in the home, they'll do the same to others. Treated with disrespect in the home or by another adult in a severe way, they'll disrespect others. Mocked and ridiculed in the home, they'll mock and ridicule others. Yelled at constantly and criticized in their home, they'll yell at and criticize others. Hit at home, they'll hit others. I'd like to share with you two quotes from Dr. Shafali Sabari's book, Out of Control, that I feel are really relevant for this conversation. The first is, she describes, quote, I can't emphasize strongly enough that when a child's own voice has been either neglected or bullied into silence, the child can no longer respond to this voice, which is how they lose touch with their natural empathy of one human for another. Terrible things can then result both for the individual and for those who cross their path, end quote. So as you can see, the empathy that we so seek to, to teach our children, to help them develop, it starts with us. Not just telling them, you know, think of others and be empathic. I mean, of course, it's important to show them, you know, just the basic skills of socializing. But it starts with how we show them empathy how we show it for others, especially for them as children who are developing and are learning, you know, everything that has to do with, you know, social skills and uh, saying how they feel in a way that asserts their needs, but also that is not disrespectful of others. You know, all of these things, they start with how we assert our needs in a way that asserts what we need, but are not disrespectful 
of them. So all of these things start in the home. And when children feel that they are being controlled, disrespected, and that we are being incongruent in what we ask of them, yet we do the complete opposite, they start to feel that they don't have a voice. And then eventually, after years, they they lose touch with that sense of being able to say what they feel and what they need and and be empathic for, for other people. And in some cases, depending again on the temperament, they will develop into bullies. So when a wound from childhood has been boiling inside for years, in many cases, there comes a point for some people when they lash it out at people in their path. And again, depending on the temperament, they may learn to quiet down at any sign of control from somebody else. They may learn that maybe it's dangerous to assert how they feel and what they think because physical harm or verbal abuse might come of it. And here's where I'd like to share that second quote from Dr. Shafali Sabari's book, Out of Control. And it goes, quote, a key element in preventing children from becoming victims of bullying is to encourage their assertiveness, not aggression, but assertiveness. The two are fundamentally different. Parents encourage assertiveness when they allow their children's voice to be heard loudly and clearly in the family. A child who can be assertive at home automatically becomes assertive on the playground. So you can see that a child who is confident, not cocky, because that's not confidence, that, but it's really a lack of it, which is why they feel they need to show on the outside what they're really needing on the inside. But a child who is truly confident exudes it and has such a presence of self-confidence that bullies don't bother them for long. And this doesn't mean that a confident child won't be bothered by a bully at all, ever, but it will most likely be a one-time thing not a pattern in a child's life. So it's so important that we go back again to us. What skills are we building in our child's, you know, emotional backpack, so to speak? What sense of self are we helping them to develop? And the point that I really want to make in this episode for you as parents who want more knowledge and more guidance on how you can prevent bullying is that it's been widely researched that bullying, the attitude of bullying another, is learned in the home. For example, hitting a child because they hit their sibling or cousin. And I talked about this in the last episode on punishments, about how hitting is a toxic form of punishment. But when adults hit children, it's an abuse of physical power. Hitting gives children the example that if you're more physically powerful than another person, you can use hitting as a form of getting your point across. That's what the child internalizes. They internalize, you know what, it's okay to hit because mom and dad do it. Just don't do it in a way that they'll find out because otherwise they'll hit me. So you can see it's completely hypocritical to do this to children and then demand that they not do it. Just like with yelling, which is so difficult because sometimes we are so exhausted or so stressed that we sometimes find ourselves yelling knowing it's not healthy. But it's the same thing. Yelling as a form of getting our child to finally do as they're told says implicitly, you know what, when you are up to here 
with somebody, when you are so, so tired of someone's behavior, go ahead and yell. And that's not the case. That's not what we want to transmit to our children. So as parents, we need to show them ways to express their intense feelings. And you can refer to my last episode on punishments on some ways that you can do this. I I give uh, many examples there. But essentially, we need to serve as emotion coaches. I think when we see ourselves as the parent, we are flooded sometimes with all these worries when we see our children behaving, you know, in a rude way, we immediately project anxiously into the future, right? Oh my goodness, this kid is going to end up being this way when they're 20 and they're not going to be able to have relationships. And we just go into this path of, you know, fear mentally. We've already moved forward like 20 years, right? I mean, it's happened to me. It's happened when I saw my son sometimes being, you know, rude with a child when he was two. So it's important to go back to, and then I would go, okay, come back to center, come back to the present. How old is this child? What's going on? What is the context? What have I been modeling when I'm upset? And all of those um, experiences of being uh, in touch with the child's need, with the child's developmental stage, with what we are transmitting through our modeling, all of those things can be so helpful and necessary. So we need to serve as emotion coaches. We need to show children a way to express all that they're feeling and thinking in a healthy, productive way. Instead of shutting down and suppressing what they're thinking and feeling with our own yelling, hitting, labeling the child as bad or defiant or stubborn or troublemaker or the difficult one in the family, etc. This will only confirm to them that they're powerless, that their voice doesn't matter. And again, they'll either make others feel powerless and insignificant by repeating the cycle of hitting and criticizing, or they'll live their lives internalizing this belief about themselves and letting others treat them in the way that reflects how they feel about themselves. So we need to teach our children from a very young age to express how they feel and what they think and to truly feel heard and acknowledged for how they feel, even when this doesn't mean that they'll get what they want. So it starts with us as parents. What do I mean by this? I feel that ever since I had my son, I've had to do a lot of inner growth because learning about this stuff, it's helpful But it's not transformative until you work on yourself. I've realized that when we are not connected, and this is backed up by research, I'm just saying I've realized because I've lived it in my own life. When we are not connected to our own needs, when we are not addressing our own needs, then meeting the needs of our children in a consistent way, not always because it's not possible, how we model respect for ourselves in our home in our relationship with our significant other, in our relationships with family members, with friends, with coworkers, how do we model for our children respect for others and for ourselves? How do we take care of ourselves? All of this is under the umbrella of respect, respect for our needs and for the needs of others. 
and including respect for them as our children, all this gets internalized and absorbed as the real-world curriculum that they learn to operate from in their lives. So the more I work on my own inner needs, you know, as parents, sometimes we feel, but, you know, I I can't really address uh, all of my needs. And, you know, we can't always do it, all of them, at the same time, every day. But what I mean is, the more that we learn to take care of our own needs as adults, we're able to connect with the needs of our children. And we're able to help them share and express their thoughts, their perspectives, and what they feel in a productive way. Now I'd like to share with you the perspective of Dr. Gabor Mate. He is an addiction expert, speaker, medical doctor, and best-selling author. In an interview that he gave where he's talking about bullying, he describes, quote, the bully is just a kid who is emotionally very immature, has a desperate need to belong, and the way that he attempts to do so is by exploiting someone else's vulnerability, end quote. So as you can see, the key piece that I'd like you to extract from this is emotionally very immature. And so these children, and then become adolescents and and then adults, these children who bully, they're very emotionally immature. Now, we all know this as adults, of course, but what matters most here is that they haven't learned to regulate their own social behaviors. They haven't learned empathy. They haven't learned attuned communication, insight into what someone else is thinking and feeling. And all of this is not something that you teach a child by punishing them and yelling at them and demanding of them that they behave. It's something that they learn through the way they are treated every day by their parents, by their caregivers. It's something that they learn also by, as I was saying earlier, the way they see their caregivers treating others and treating themselves. So it's really important to remember, and I'll talk about brain development specifically in another episode, but the prefrontal cortex is the part of our brain, and it's right above, um, it's in, this, in, in the front of our brain, right above the eyebrows in the center. The prefrontal cortex, that part of our brain is in charge of regulating our social behaviors. Uh, as I was saying in another episode, impulse control, emotional regulation, It's responsible for insight, attuning in communication with other people. And so all of these um, skills in this part of the brain, they develop and depend very much their development on the environment. So the brain doesn't just develop in a vacuum. It doesn't just develop because we gave our child nutritious food and water and, you know, academic stimulation. But most importantly... The brain develops in response to experience, to the emotional and social and psychological environment that it is surrounded with, especially in early childhood when close to 100% of the brain develops. 95% of the brain is developed uh, by the age of five. But again, we'll talk about this in another episode. But just to highlight that the day-to-day interactions that our children live in and participate in, especially by the people who care for them. Those are the kinds of interactions that are going to imprint them psychologically for how to see themselves 
and how to see others and how to express themselves or shut down for how to view the feelings of others or their own, I think it's very empowering and hopeful for us as parents to realize, you know what, even though I can't control what happens to my child out there in the world, I can't control what's going to happen to them in school, uh, what other kids are going to be like, or, you know, uh, um, in extracurricular activities or just anywhere at this on the street, I do have control over how I interact with my child, uh, for how I relate to them, for the relationship that they see with me and my significant other in the home. I have full control over my own interactions with them. And not just that, but these are the most impactful for them, for their development, for how they learn to treat themselves, for how they let others treat them, and for how they treat other people. So we can have such an impact on them. And what a, how fortunate are we that we get to contribute to them in this way? And yes, the responsibility is on us. You know, it, it always goes back to how we uh, are modeling behavior and how we are modeling the handling of intense feelings. But how empowering to know that this is a great opportunity for us to grow and to help our children grow in us growing ourselves. Now, I'd like to also share key insights from Dr. Laura Markham. She's a clinical psychologist and founder of AHA Parenting. She's worked with families across the world. And she also describes that when we parents ask ourselves, wait, why would a person, a young person, do such a thing as bullying? Well, she describes that it's because, and this is a quote, because it gives them power. We all need to feel powerful in our lives. If we don't have access to power in healthy ways, it can be hard to resist using it in unhealthy ways. And for a child or teen who often feels powerless in her life, abusing power by bullying can feel as potent as a drug. And then she goes on to say, quote, if someone has humiliated, threatened, or hurt him, those feelings often threaten to overwhelm his psyche and he lashes out, wanting to humiliate, threaten, or hurt someone else. Unfortunately, then, kids who are hurting often hurt other kids. End quote. So, one of our goals as parents is to realize that, as I mentioned earlier, we can't protect them from what's out there in the world, we can't keep them safe from what, what another kid might try to do. But we can and need to support our children's development of a healthy sense of self, to develop their awareness that bullying exists and the skills to protect themselves if necessary, but also to seek help when their attempts to protect themselves aren't working, if perhaps the situation is dangerous and merits adult intervention. So when children grow up in a home environment that is respectful of everyone in the home, not just respectful of adults, but where adults don't control the children, but rather guide them, where children aren't hit or in some way controlled, they learn that they shouldn't take that kind of behavior from anyone. And they learn that controlling others, hitting others during moments of anger, and abusing power through criticism or control is not the way to treat others either. So it's very helpful if you can give your child examples of how they can assert themselves in a firm and respectful way to other kids and to adults. 
So you can also practice with role plays. You can talk to your child. You know what? If someone at school, a girl or a boy says, you know, and you can say something really rude, what do you think you would say? What do you think you could say? You know, some something that makes them feel, you know what, I have a little bit of practice for what I could say. Or maybe that will be a great opportunity to see what questions they have about asserting themselves, about facing a bully, about um, being able to not have that kind of interaction with, with a bully. And you can guide them through that. You can help them to know what they could say. But again, the most important uh, sort of immunization, so to speak, for a child to not be a victim of bullying is for them to feel that they can assert themselves with you as their mother, as their father, as their grandfather or grandmother, whoever is raising this child. If the child feels that just because they're little or younger or smaller doesn't mean that they can't assert themselves, if they know, you know what, I as a human being, for the mere fact that I'm a human being, I deserve as much respect as anybody who's older than me, as anybody who's younger than me, or anybody who's the same age as me, because all of us as human beings deserve respect. If a child not only hears that, but lives that, because the parents allow for that to be truly lived on a day-to-day basis, then they won't become victims of bullying. They may, again, be, you know, come across the bully and the bully will try to you know, uh, ridicule them or tease them, but it won't be a pattern in this child's life. At least it's very unlikely, I should say, because nothing can be a full guarantee. But it is highly unlikely because these children will walk with a true sense of confidence. So connection in your relationship with your child is key. When kids feel that one adult in their lives, be it a parent, an aunt, or another adult who truly cares for them and respects them, will always listen, kids are much more likely to talk about things that are worrying them. So in closing, I'd just like to highlight some of the key points that I talked about in this episode, which are, it's very important for us as parents to be in close communication with our children so that they feel safe enough to share something difficult or scary that they're going through. And for another reason that we we as parents want to be in close communication with our kids is so that we can tell if something seems off, if something merits a conversation with our kids about something going on at school or, or elsewhere. And lastly, I'd just like to say that research from the Harvard University Center on the Developing Child has found that the most common factor found in highly resilient children is when they have at least one stable relationship with a trusted and supportive parent or caregiver. So if children experience the teasing or at one point they have to face a bully, for us as parents, that can be, you know, worrying. That can be a reason to go, wait a minute, are, are, are they okay? But know that what we're seeking here as well is to raise children who are resilient, who can face challenges, obviously with support when needed. But I really, uh, I was um, happy to read that this research from the Harvard Center University on the Developing Child has found that the most common factor found in highly resilient children is when they know that they have at least one stable, committed relationship. 
with a supportive parent or caregiver. And so for us to know that we can serve that function, that we can work on ourselves and on our relationship with our children so that they feel they have that, that is so helpful. And again, the connection in your relationship with your child is the most critical piece of all of this. You know, your open lines of communication, you're modeling to them that they have a voice in the home. And in this way, among others, communicating that their views, their thoughts, their perspectives, their questions, their feelings matter. So important to do from the time that they're young. And if you haven't been able to do it, um, know that you can always start. It's never too late to want to foster a healthy relationship with your child. You can do this one day at a time. We're all trying to do this one day at a time. We can't uh, predict the future, but we can certainly decide how we're going to do in this day. I hope you find this information helpful. If you did, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review and please feel free to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be notified of upcoming episodes. All right, I'll be here next week. Thanks for listening.